Man, what a treat it is to be together and to worship together this morning. And like we said before, welcome. We're so glad we can join together our hearts in praise and worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, King Jesus. And again, if you haven't been with us this summer, I know everyone is in and out with summer travels. This summer we're we're in the middle of a teaching series on uh, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so often Jesus told these stories, uh, we call them parables, and he started with this idea, he would say the kingdom of heaven is like this, or it's like that. And, And inside of these stories there's truth for us about what it's like to live in the kingdom of heaven, in the here and now, in the present. This idea that the kingdom of heaven has already come. And there's a sense in which it's coming, but it's already come. And as those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we are experiencing kingdom life even even now. And so today we're going to dive into another one of those stories of Jesus. And I'll tell you, it's one of those stories that I think we've both understood and misunderstood at the same time so often. And so we'll look at it this morning and see if we can figure something out. But before we do that, um, I wondered if you'd heard this story. This story popped up on my radar in my newsfeed a, a couple of weeks ago. I don't watch this show. I can't really even endorse this show. But there's a show uh, called uh, Last Week Tonight. It's sort of a news slash comedy show with a guy named John Oliver. And I don't know if you, if you are familiar with this at all. I wasn't until I saw this story. But John Oliver did something on his show that was, was really sort of earth-shattering. Uh, he was doing a, a pretty extensive report one night on the debt collection industry in America and these companies that pop up. And, and the way this works, as I understand it, and I'm not the best economist, but uh, these companies pop up and they purchase overdue debt from different hospitals or different companies, and then they try to collect on those debts. And so they'll purchase a, a pretty sizable debt for a pretty small amount of money, a fraction of the cost, and then they try to Try to, try to collect that money back. And sometimes the way they go about that is a little bit unethical and moral and uh, shady, to say the best, right? And so John Oliver was kind of going over this whole situation in America and the way this works. And I want to just read to you just a clip of the story that came up. It says, back in April, this is according to relevantmagazine.com, back in April, the folks from last week tonight set up a company called Central Asset Recovery Professionals, or CARP, after the bottom-feeding fish. You can read into that what you want. (laughs) From there, they did what countless companies across the country are currently doing. They purchased millions of dollars of old, unsettled medical debt for fractions of a penny of the dollar, uh, nearly, uh, for fractions of the, I can't read right, fractions of a penny on the dollar, nearly $15 million worth of debt. And they purchased that for $60,000. So they purchased $15 million of debt for $60,000. As Oliver explains it, it was shockingly easy to purchase the personal information of nearly 9,000 people, including their social security numbers. But unlike other companies in the debt collection industry, some of whom harassed the debt holders in an effort to collect long-forgotten debts, Oliver did something extraordinary. He forgave it on national television. He forgave it, and he explained, why not forgive it? Because on the one hand, it's obviously the right thing to do. But much more importantly, we'd be staging the largest one-time giveaway in television show history. I like his first reason better. It's the right thing to do. What he was going for, I know what he was going for. He was going for a lead story. He was going for TV ratings. But what he did in that moment is they set this company and they they purchased the debt of some 9,000 people. 9,000 people who, by the way, for most of these debt collection agencies, they weren't weren't people, they were were numbers. 
Uh, they, they weren't even names on a page. They were amounts that were owed. Uh, they weren't people with problems. They were people to whom they could, they could go into and, and try to retrieve uh, the money that they owed. And, and, and part of the problem with this whole industry, as I understand it, is that so many of these people are in this medical debt and they're in over their head. And it's really through no fault of their own. They got into a situation in the hospital and the insurance ran out. And all of a sudden, they're just trying to keep their brother alive and they're raising or they're, they're, they're incurring all this debt. And they find themselves in the middle of a hole and they can't see their way out. And I don't know that John Oliver knew what he was doing, but I'll tell you what I think he was doing. What I think he was doing was that even though he didn't realize that he was in a very powerful way demonstrating what life looks like in the kingdom of heaven, wasn't he? Uh, there's a reason stories like this resonate with people like you and me who know and love Jesus. Because even when people who don't know and love the same Jesus that you and I know and love, even when they do things like this, we understand why it matters so much. We understand that, that it's more than it was just the fact that it was morally right. It's more than the fact that it was just being a good citizen or a good humanitarian. It's more than, than all of those things about ethics and all the different things we could come up with of, of why it would be a good idea. The reason the story is so powerful for us is because it reminds us that, that that kind of activity, that kind of action, it reflects the nature and the image of God that is in every one of us. Because this is what we believe, don't we? That every person is a person created by and loved by God. Every person. And can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of these 9,000 people. And maybe just maybe you're watching the show then. I don't even know. I'm sure they had to call everybody afterwards and let them know what had happened. But for whatever reason, you have all of this debt. Maybe you know what this feels like. Maybe, maybe you've been a part of a situation where you incurred incredible medical debt or maybe you were underwater on your house or maybe through credit cards or whatever. You were just, it was out of control and you found yourself in a similar situation where you had incurred so much debt, you didn't know how you were gonna pay it off. Or maybe like these 9,000 people, you just felt completely invisible. Have you ever felt invisible? Like you were in the middle of your situation, you were in the middle of your crisis, you were in the middle of your pain, of your problem, of your whatever it is. And it's like no one knew and no one cared. And you just felt completely invisible in the middle of your despair. And can you imagine what it would have felt like for one of these 9,000 people to get the phone call that night or the next day they said, oh, by the way, this guy set up a company, he bought your debt, and last night on TV, he forgave your debt. And you're now debt-free. He paid a debt you, you could never repay. That's what was done for you. And so that weight, that's lifted off your shoulders. And he did that because he saw an opportunity he did that because he saw people who were people who had names, who had situations, who had problems, who had gone through things that were unspeakable. And instead of treating them like numbers on a page, you treated them like the human beings they are. And their debt was forgiven. And in that way, and I know he, he probably has no idea he was doing this, but in that way, he was participating in, in the great reversal of all things. He was making right what had gone wrong. 
And he may or may not have been doing it for the right reasons, but I love what he did and I love this story because I love that it reflects and it reminds us that people are people and people matter. And and in so many of Jesus' stories, I think this is what he was trying to get at. He was trying to teach us or show us or demonstrate or somehow help us understand what life is like for people who live in the kingdom of heaven, for people like you and I who who have one foot in in the kingdom of heaven now, and for people like you and I who who understand and who believe that every person is a person of immeasurable worth, that every person, no matter their tribe, language, background, economic situation, status, whatever, that, that, that every person is created by and loved by God, that every person is an image bearer of God. And so the stories that Jesus told, if you really dig into them, they kind of reveal what what life is like when we treat each other that way. What what life looks like when we treat each other as people, as human beings created in the image of God, loved by God. And so this story I want us to read today, I, I think it's been both understood and misunderstood so many times. But I want us to read it with that perspective and that set of lenses in mind. And so if you have your Bibles or a Bible app, if you want to turn those on or open those up, We're going to look at a story in Luke 16. In Luke 16, Jesus is still talking to the same people he was talking to last week. So if you are here last week, you remember in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, Luke tells us that in front of Jesus, if you can just picture this in your mind's eye, right? He's got this this group of people, kind of like you guys, except he probably didn't have this fancy stage. And, uh, And he's talking to these people, and Luke says he's got Pharisees and religious leaders on the one hand, and then what he described as notorious sinners on the other hand, so, so all these people from all walks of life are attracted to Jesus, which I think is amazing, and they've all come to hear what he had to say. And so right in front of him, he has this cross-section of humanity, and he tells these stories, one after the other. And then you get into Luke 16, he's still talking to the same group, and, and this where, that's where this story happens. And so we'll start in, in Luke 16 and verse 19, where Jesus tells a story about this rich man and then a guy named Lazarus. Verse 19. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. Now, a couple things I want you to notice. This rich man's not given a name. This is just an anonymous rich man. We don't know anything about his spiritual life. Jesus didn't say he was was incredibly sinful or anything like that. He just kind of describes his wealth. He's living life in the lap of of luxury, wearing fine clothes and dining in a fine place. He's, he's living it up. He's a, he's a wealthy guy. That's all we know about him. Verse 20, at his gate, in contrast, lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. No, I tell you what's interesting to me is that the rich man is not given a name, but Jesus, and he doesn't do this very often if you've read his stories, but in this story, he gives this poor man a name. And the name he gives him is the name Lazarus, which the name Lazarus, if you know this, literally means God helps. 
So Jesus identifies this poor man. He gives this man a name. And you know this if you know the stories of Jesus, that whenever Jesus in his, in his life encountered people, he would often ask their name and say, what is your name? And he would call them by name. Women, you know, uh, sinners, saints, whoever. Even the, the, the demon-possessed guy one time, he's, the first question, the first words out of Jesus' mouth was, what is your name? And in that way, Jesus often tried to restore dignity and worth and value to people. So Jesus identifies this poor man in his story with a name automatically giving him more worth and value. And this poor man, Lazarus, also, we don't know anything about his spiritual life. It doesn't say he's incredibly holy, that he read the Bible every day. It doesn't tell us anything about his spiritual life. All it does is tell us who he was and where he was and what his condition was. So it seems that for Jesus, what's important for us to note is that this man had a name. And that his location was important. He was right outside the rich man's house, right on his doorstep. And his condition was important. He was hungry. He was sick. He needed comfort. And the only comfort he got was from this pack of dogs that came to his aid. Verse 22. The tension set, and now the story takes a tragic turn, right? Finally, the poor man died. It's like, finally. Finally, the poor man died. And was carried by angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. Now you'll notice when Lazarus dies, there's no funeral. There's no burial. It would seem as if Jesus is suggesting that this man was even denied the dignity of a proper burial. He was just left for dead. You know, who knows what's going to happen to him next. But, but Lazarus, and, and again, this is a story, so we shouldn't read too much into the story. I don't want you to, to read too much into this as some literal description of what Jesus is painting, a, a, a picture of the afterlife. He's not. Jesus, got, Jesus has a, mit, a much bigger point in mind for us. This is just a story. But I do love the way that Jesus describes the place where Lazarus is taken to. Did you catch it? He says he takes him, the angels carry him away to the heavenly banquet. Once again, we have a picture of heaven that kind of describes this, this idea of a table and food and celebration and a party. And there's a banquet. And this is where Lazarus is taken to. And then Jesus says, the rich man also died. And he was buried. He had a proper burial. And he went to the place of the dead. And there in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. So, so this rich man is, is died and he is given a proper burial right here. But he's not, angels don't, don't come to carry him away. And he's not, he's not led to a heavenly banquet. Instead, he finds himself in the middle of torment. But he can look over. And he can see Lazarus much like he could look down his, from his window and see him before. But this time, Lazarus isn't by his doorstep, hungry, sick, and poor. This time, Lazarus is with Abraham. And he's in a much better place than the rich man finds himself in. Verse 24, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. Isn't this crazy that the rich man is clearly on the wrong side of eternity and he's still looking down at Lazarus as someone who should come and serve him? Verse 25. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted. Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted And you were in anguish. 
And besides, there's a great chasm separating us and no one can cross over to you from here and no one can, can cross over to us from, from there. Even though Lazarus had been on this man's doorstep day after day after day in his poverty and his sickness and his pain, the rich man had never truly seen Lazarus, had he? And this is the crux of the story, isn't it? That every day the rich man had the opportunity, he saw someone in need, but in his comfort, he was unwilling to leave his comforts, to, to, to step outside of his comfort, to help someone that he saw was in dire need. He never, ever saw him. He never, ever took action to help him. And here's what I want you to remember. Again, Jesus is speaking to, to both Pharisees and notorious sinners. And no doubt, everyone in the audience, just like you today, knew the word of God and knew the will of God and, and knew the favor of God. And, and they know what the scriptures taught and they knew what their culture taught. Uh, uh, throughout the, the Old Testament, throughout the Torah, throughout the teachings of Moses and the law of Moses, they were commanded to love their neighbor. And they were commanded to take care of the poor. And, and so there's a sense in which everyone in the audience probably would have been shaking their heads saying, yep, yep. Like no one was surprised. Like the rich man got exactly what he deserved. He knew his responsibility was to take care of that man, Lazarus, and he never, ever did it. So yeah, he got exactly what was coming to him, that scoundrel. You can just almost see everybody in the audience nodding along with Jesus, agreeing with him, like, yeah, that's exactly what should have happened. But remember, Jesus is talking to these Pharisees. And I don't know if you've read the whole thing, but let me just back you up a little bit. In the same chapter, do you remember these words of Jesus as he's talking to, to, to these Pharisees and religious, religious leaders? In verse 13, Jesus says these words, the same chapter. He said, no one can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 14, the Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and scoffed at him. And then you fast forward just a couple more chapters to Luke 18. Do you remember this story? where Jesus is having a conversation with another religious leader. And this guy, Luke 18, verse 18, he says, Good teacher, I want to ask you a question. What should I do to inherit eternal life? You remember what Jesus said? He said, basically, keep the Ten Commandments. And the guy responds with, with I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Like, this is what I've always done. And then Luke says this. He says, when Jesus heard his answer, he said, There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. So I want you to imagine what these affluent religious leaders must have felt as they're standing next to what Luke describes as notorious sinners who are on the doorstep of eternity. And he's calling out these affluent religious leaders for loving their money more than loving people. For loving possessions more than loving people. For, for placing a, a higher value on their economic worth and their value and what they have over the needs of people in the same audience. 
you better believe that inside of their hearts there was a fury raising. Their temperature was rising. They were getting hot. Because Jesus, right here through the power of story, is calling them out for doing the same thing this rich man was doing. And just in case you were wondering, I don't think the story is about money. The only people who make this story about money are those people who have problems with money. Because remember, what's the crux of the story? The crux of the story is not the rich man's wealth. It's that the rich man never saw Lazarus at his doorstep and never took action to care for him. And I believe what Jesus is trying, was trying to teach then and what Jesus would want to teach now to you and to me is to remind us of this incredible truth that people matter to God and people should matter to us too. That people matter to God and people should matter to us too. That's the crux of the story. And and I have to ask you, you know, what do you do with a story like this? Well, how do we respond to a story like this? This challenge to see people the way Jesus sees people, to love people the way God loves people. I don't think any of us will soon forget what happened two weeks ago on Sunday. I didn't know till after church. I know many of you didn't know till you got home that day and the news broke on your TV or your phone or whatever. And we all learned about the tragic shooting in Orlando and when, when we prayed for those people so many times. What I love that came out of that was a story about Chick-fil-A. Did you see this story? It didn't catch as many headlines. You know that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday and like me, that makes a lot of you very mad because <laughs> their sweet tea is great. They do that because they, they've got a bit of a Christian slant and so they close on Sunday. They take the hit financially so that their employees can have a, a day off, a Sabbath, have a day with their family, have a day to go to church. And, and as a Christian company, I guess you would say that's something that they do and we all respect that. But two weeks ago on Sunday when this happened in Orlando, several Chick-fil-A restaurants opened their doors and their employees came into work voluntarily and they made tea and chicken biscuits and chicken sandwiches and they loaded up their cars and they went And they gave away free food to police officers, to people standing in line to donate blood, to people in the streets who were mourning and grieving over what had just happened. And they broke all the rules. They opened on Sunday. They broke all the rules. They they, they gave away their food for free. And you know why they did that? They, they, They did that because they saw people in need. They saw them, they saw them, and they took action. Same reason John Oliver on his show gave away $15 million because he saw people. He saw people in need and he took action. And as followers of Jesus Christ, I believe the call is for us to do the same thing, to see people in need and take action Because people matter. People matter. 
People matter more than money. People matter more than politics. People matter more than your schedule. People matter more than our agenda. People matter more than anything. To the heart of God, people, Jesus came and spread his arms on the cross. Why? Because people matter. And, and I don't I mean, can we just take a time out and talk about this? I mean, the, the, the ramifications of this? Two weeks ago, I, st- I stood at Camp Texoma with our teenagers. And I told them and I promised them once again, I said, hey, I want you to know that, that my commitment to you is to make this church, to make Riverside the kind of church that you can always bring your friends to. And that when they come, you'll never have to worry about your friends being embarrassed that they, they came to church with you. Because my goal and my desire is to, to give a message and to say the kind of things that's going to be just as relevant to, to your life and to their lives as it is to anybody else in the room. And what I want to do is I want to remove as many barriers as possible so that you can bring your friends to church here and you can be excited to do so. Is that the kind of thing you would promise our teenagers? I, I want to promise that because I want them to know that, that I see them. And I see their friends and that you see them and you see their friends. But make no mistake about it. Our, our, our city is full of people who don't have what you have. I'm not talking about material wealth or affluence or cars or homes or clothes. I'm talking about they don't have what you have. They don't have the kind of faith family that you have. They don't have the kind of support you have. They don't know about the love of God from the people of God the way that you know about the love of God through the people of God here. And they're at home this morning because no one sees them. And because there are many who, in our comfort, refuse to see those on our doorstep, literally, and take action on their behalf. This is hard to hear and it's hard to say. But as long as we hold on to our comfort, as long as we hold on to to, to, to keeping things the way we like them. As long as we hold on to our opinions and our methods, and I'm not talking about changing the message of Jesus Christ, you know that. But until we're willing to see people and to step outside of our comfort to help them in their time of need, they may never come to know the same Jesus that you and I know to love, know and love. And make no mistake about it, because there will be a day when we'll be in eternity and they'll be looking across the chasm. And I wonder what they might say. Man, that church was right down the street from my house. Why didn't they ever do anything or say anything? What are we going to say? Hey, there was a sign on the street with uh, our name and the times were open. All the info was on our website. Come on. Are we willing to do what the rich man didn't do, to step outside of our comfort, to help those who don't know the same Jesus that you and I know and love? Or will we, in our comfort, refuse to move? You see, I believe this is the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the call of of, of the story. This is the call of those who have gone before us and those who will come behind, that, that we will have such love and such compassion for people, even the people around us, that we will invest our lives in them, 
that we will, whether it's at the ballpark or in the neighborhood or across the street, that we will get to know them by their name, that we will come to understand their story, that we will invest ourselves in their lives, and that at some point, yeah, we're going to invite them to be a part of what's going on here. And it's not about what's going on here. You get that, right? It's about what's going on in the world around us. It's about what's going on in the kingdom of heaven. And it's about inviting people to be a part of the banquet One thing is clear about the story. We want to be on the side that Lazarus is on, right? And we want to take as many as we can to go there with us. And what Jesus is calling us to, I really believe the heart of the gospel is for you and I to see people the way Jesus sees people. And to love people the way that Jesus loves people. Man, could we do that? Church, if you would stand with me. The reason this matters so much, and you know this, is because Jesus first saw you. I don't know when it was, and I don't know where you were, but in your despair, with the reality of, of your situation apart from Christ, you remember, you, know, you didn't find him, he found you. He saw you, and he loved you, and he gave his life for you on that cross. And three days later, he rose again. And that story took hold of your heart, and you've never been the same since. And today, if, if, if maybe you're getting your, your heart around that story for the first time, I want to I encourage you in that. In fact, I want to invite our elders and their wives to just kind of make their way around the room if, if you guys want to. And, and if this morning, if, if you have ever felt this, if you felt invisible, if you have felt underwater, if you have felt this despair, if you have felt like Lazarus, like no one knows and no one cares, I want you to know people know when people care, and those people are in this room. And they're making their way around the room right now, and they would love nothing more than to know your name and to pray for you. Because we know that before we ever see you, Jesus saw us. And what he's done for us has been life-changing. It's a game-changer. And today, if you're hurting, if today if you need hope, if you've walked in this morning and you can't remember the last time you smiled, let us pray with you. Because we serve a Jesus who is king of the kingdom of heaven. And in his kingdom, there is joy. And in his kingdom, there is peace. And in his kingdom, in his kingdom, there is hope for you today. So we want to sing this song, and if you have any need, come let us know. But more than that, may we be a people, may we be a people who truly see people. And no matter who they are, no matter what differences we may have, may we love them. May we love them. Because Christ saw us, and he loved us. Let's sing.